0: Tell
1: them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? I'm going to drink a green tea all goddamn day! All of our team. Hello, and welcome once again to Gag Real, the unasked for and unnecessary podcast where we talk about comedy movies and comedy TV shows. I am your host, Ryan Scanlon, and I'm joined usually by my brother, Will. Typically. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I need to eat dinner at some point, but I'm a, I'm more excited about the the office right now and talking about this this uh I don't know this kind. Of, I don't know what you call this big of a show, but yeah, whatever that word is.
0: Phenomenon.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that.
0: Phenomenon.
1: I just I wish that this was a video podcast so I could be making like kind of little little gym shrugs into the camera right now.
0: How do you do an audio shrug to the camera?
1: yeah i don't i don't know but mm, maybe something like that maybe that kind of thing Uh yeah yeah maybe just tim allen noises Uh yeah but yeah i think I, i don't have any big podcast updates so i say we just hop into it
0: let's hop on down
1: Every time we've done one of these, the sitcom structure, uh, Unraveled episodes has been a one-off. But our new podcast idea is that every time we dive into something, we'll make it a two-parter.
0: All right, so overall, the two episodes combined, we'll talk about both sitcom structure and how it applies to the 2005 to 2013 comedy series, The Office. And so I guess first things first, we should talk a little bit about sitcom structure and how it works. So um, in 1951, I Love Lucy was the first multi-camera sitcom that aired on television. And one year later, Ozzie and Harriet was the first single-camera sitcom that began airing. The two styles were different and allowed two unique types of comedy to, you know, begin to evolve on television. Um, I Love Lucy was filmed on a soundstage in front of a studio audience, and this led to performances that were more theatrical than comedy that was more broad and uh, fantastical. Zany characters and uh, showmanship reigned supreme. Yeah, it was all about, you know, big, larger-than-life characters performing to a stage. If they could get the audience roused, then they would assume that the television audience would be, you know, excited and roused as well. Meanwhile, single-camera sitcoms were allowed to breathe. You know, they could take the cameras out of the sound stages and onto the streets. That allows for the shows to have a bit of more of a realistic approach. Comedy is a bit more cinematic and subtle. Per, perform, performers weren't on stage trying to rouse an audience. Instead, they were on set trying to make a character work. Although the multi-camera sitcoms and single-camera sitcoms significantly differed in comedic structure and appearance, they both relied on the same... Uh, story structure. And in the early days, Ozzie and Harriet used the structure established by I Love Lucy. The characters get into trouble in act one, and then struggle to get out of it in act two. Leave It's a Beaver used the same idea for the structure, but they began to label it in the scripts by separating the acts with an opening commercial, then act one, middle commercial, act two, then a closing commercial. A few years after that, The Andy Griffith Show adjusted it slightly, By giving the script two acts and a tag at the end, act one, a problem arises, act two works to resolve said problem, and the tag either wraps it all up with a neat bow or ends the show on a chuckle. Throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s, most sitcoms followed this structure while adding a teaser at the beginning. You'll see this format in stuff like The Brady Bunch, Gilligan's Island, Bewitched, Get Smart, and others. By the 90s and the early 2000s, in the blossoming of the single sit camera sitcom as the primary style, a third act began to become the primary structure. Uh, this structure, with a cold open, three acts, and then a tag, is the structure that was used for The Office in its entire run. There were a lot of metaphors we used for The Office, and the the visual metaphor that Greg gave us for the show at large was like a paved over concrete, sort of boring looking and like office park parking lot, with one little kind of flower. Uh, peeking up through a crack in the pavement, and his point was like this is a this is a satire about the the modern world of parking lots and office parks and fluorescent lights and drop ceilings. But like the the soul of the show was that little flower that somehow has found its way, that little tiny bit of brightness that has found its way through a crack in this very uh, sort of paved over universe, right? And that was a very powerful metaphor. I think about that all the time.
1: Jumping into the, the office here, I'm, I'm excited to kind of just talk about this show, even though I, I wasn't ever, like, a big diehard fan. But, like, it, I have watched probably the first six or seven seasons of it. And, like, obviously, I feel like it, it would be a, a miss uh, with this comedy podcast if we didn't recognize this show for what it does so well. And, obviously, for Steve Carell... For like this amazing character that he expanded on in this American interpretation of a short-lived UK series and uh, just what what all these characters became yeah. and uh, and obviously we haven't had a chance to talk about any of Greg Daniels shows really on this podcast yet or and, uh, yeah I, I'm glad to dive into the office today.
0: Um, it's it's a show with a lot of history, and then it's based on a show with even more history
1: behind that. Which where, where did you want to start this? I guess well. we'll
0: start at the very beginning. So, the original series was a mockumentary uh, that was created by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. Just a fun fact: both the British Office and the TV show The Trailer Park Boys began in 2001 and kicked off the whole 15 to 20 year mockumentary style that so many other sitcoms adopted. Bolton came out in the same year, and after that, tons of other shows adopted this documentary esque shtick.
1: Yeah, and shows are still doing it. Yeah,
0: they're still. It's kind of waning, but I mean, like, you still got what we do in the shadows, and Modern Family just ended, and they were.
1: uh, Yeah, that was a long running one as well. Yeah. Do you do you know anything about the inspiration behind like these shows, like with that style?
0: I am not entirely aware of like why they went with the mockumentary style, but I think it, it probably had to do with the fact, which is what the British office did so well to help it stand out, allow it to become such an instant classic, was breathe new life into the concept of the workplace comedy. Before that, you know, there was always, okay, there's so many comedies that take place in the workplace, but they all kind of seemed samey, You had, um, you know, Murphy Brown's and your, uh, Drew Carey shows and your, it was all like, and your, uh, Mm. all these shows that, you know, oh, they took place in a unique office place. What's going to happen today. And what the British office did was in a lot of ways, they took the comedy out of it. Like it was funny because it was about a truly terrible, arrogant boss who thought he was funny. People could come to me and they'd go, excuse me, David, but you've been in the business 12 years. Can you just spare us a moment to tell us how to, you know, run a team? How to keep them task orientated as well as you know happy. But they don't, you know, like the concept of cringe comedy became a thing. Yeah. Because uh, and the British Office is much bigger on that aspect than the American version, which came out uh, shortly after The Office became a big hit in uh, 2004. Mm. Uh, NBC started pushing to make an adaptation, and so they asked all these different uh, writers and stuff. To uh, write a remake of the British version, and most of them said no because the British Office was a a writers' show. You know, it was a show all the comedy writers out on the in the the writing scene were big fans of, and felt that if you adapt it, then you're going to both ruin it and maybe commit career
1: suicide while doing it.
0: Greg Daniels, on the other hand, thought it would be a fun challenge. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if it does, then this could be a lot of fun.
1: Who we should mention uh, has a long history in TV. Uh, this was also a guy who co- uh, co-led the King of the Hill. Yeah.
0: He started um, on Saturday Night Live and uh, also worked uh, wrote for The Simpsons before co-creating uh, yeah, King of the Hill with Mike Judge. And um, it, it should be just uh, more behind-the-scenes info. His show-running style is very unique in the television world. And with it came a lot of things that helped The Office both work so well and stand out from its British counterpart. He was really big on intermingling the cast and the crew and allowing writers on set and allowing actors to give a great deal of feedback in helping to develop their characters. Four of the show's biggest writers, BJ Novak, Mindy Kaling, and Paul Paul Lieberstein and Michael Schur, they all had acting roles on the show so that the studio wouldn't question why Greg Daniels wanted his writing staff on set all the time instead of in The Office writing scripts. This allowed for, you know, the characters to have a level of creative depth that doesn't always happen in sitcoms. And um, many shows that have worked before and since The Office have done the same thing to some extent.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like the the distinction that I always hear, like, you know, from people after you get past the the basic, like, you know... Do you like the British version more or the American version more? I feel like that's the the less interesting question. But like when when you actually start like looking at them and comparing, uh, I I feel like, I mean, the the obvious thing that the American show did was break past that cringe comedy Mm -hmm. and make these really endearing characters that you could also still kind of laugh at and not want to actually be around in real life. But they're so fleshed out. Yeah and so complete and uh i'm i'm pretty excited next episode to break down the business school because i feel like that is kind of you know one one of the classic examples of uh of kind of all the sides of michael scott and uh yeah. his his childish ridiculousness but also you know how much he, he seems to somewhat care about the people around him you know no,
0: absolutely yeah and uh it it was it's i guess the biggest difference really is Honestly, just like with the most obvious, you know, like the American office was retooled for longevity. You know, you can't have a Ricky Gervais like boss if you want it to last longer. You have to really adjust the boss to make him, if he's going to be the focal point, you can't just roll your eyes or cringe the whole time. You've got to kind of like feel for him at times or just understand like, okay, he might be a an idiot or a doofus or something, mm. but you know, I, I guess, uh. He's, he's got a proverbial heart of gold.
1: I think they turned the ignorance into more kind of like, like childlike yeah. in the American show eventually, And mm-hmm. that this is like all coming from a, a complete place of I- idiocy, you know, yeah. and just complete naivety uh, rather than, you know, a different kind of idiocy and uh, the kind of blunt-headedness uh, of, of Ricky Gervais' as typical characters. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but um, but I, I know you, you've seen the entire show, and uh, I feel like you know it. Yeah, multiple times. I feel like you know it in and out more than me. Yeah. So I'm curious about your thoughts overall on The Office, or if you kind of have any.
0: I think it's a show that, while it has its flaws, I think, it, but especially if you look at spe- like most specifically seasons two through four, it's some of the best um, character writing in a comedy that has really been out there. And that's kind of what made it stand out. And that's what made it last nine seasons. It was really those seasons were so good that they just wanted to keep them coming, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it just had to do with the, uh, those seasons especially, there was a level of realism. For some, like, they were able to balance this uh, real groundedness and the fact that they had real specific rules on how that camera worked. Like, they were extremely meticulous in making sure that every shot looked like uh, there were two documentary crewmen in the office and no more and no less mm-hmm. picking up the action so that it there was like a, a groundedness that got pulled in to all the absurdity i mean after that there was it got a little more broad and um a little more absurd and they play played around with a lot more sitcom tropes
1: it it does get kind of wild the directions they take some of those characters mm-hmm. of- Especially like Dwight. I feel like they got to a point where he, with him, like uh, Rain Wilson's obviously has hilarious timing and he'll make anything funny, especially with such a strange character. But they uh, they went in, in some weird directions with him because I feel like it just, it's hard to make a character like that really lovable. So I, yeah. I feel like they just kind of went broader and broader and broader with him. Yeah, there
0: was a, a really hard turn that they had to pull in the final season to bring it back around to actually make his character work at the end. Interesting. I liked how they did it. I uh, Season nine has its good points and its bad points, but good points are, you know, like the way they were able to wrap everything up. And the, but the fact uh-huh. that they had to pull such a, a weird hard turn on Dwight's character, uh, is, yeah, they, they went, they went sorts of, yeah, they're just trying to stretch him out for so long. It's like, <laughs> did they want him to start learning lessons or do they want him to start getting more ridiculous? Yeah. And, uh, it kind of went both ways at the same time.
1: Yeah, maybe one day I'll I'll finish out the show because like even towards the later seasons that I've seen, like it does, it isn't an unfunny show. It just it starts to kind of you know suffer from the stretch that happens to a lot of shows yeah. once they enter that eighth season or so oh, yeah. of you know we've done a lot with these characters. What have we not done? You start kind of thinking of wilder ideas. Yeah, and I blame and it wilder on pairings, a
0: combination of showrunner as well as. um you know, Steve, Steve, uh, Steve Carell leaving made them really kind of figure, like, they couldn't decide what the hell they wanted to do with the show after that.
1: And so, yeah, mm-hmm. it's
0: just like a season of hemming and hawing and then another season of just like, oh, yeah, we're going to end it. How about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is amazing how many seasons that he, he committed to the show, though. Oh, it's yeah. Despite, like, he obviously had a pretty big film career, yeah. even as the show and, uh, was going on. It was
0: news came out last year that apparently he didn't even
1: want to leave. That's interesting.
0: Um they did some sort of weird contract negotiation rug pull on him the studio mm. did. I guess he was uh I think they uh what happened was like they were trying to get him to sign on for a, a cheaper amount. Yeah, and, and I bet his
1: agents were pushing. Well, what happened for... was
0: um he called their bluff. They were mm. going to pay him whatever he wanted, but they basically said something along the lines of uh yeah, you take this money or you or or uh or you can leave. And uh, mm. and he he basically called their bluff. He he was he didn't realize that they didn't really mean it when they wanted him when they said you could go. And uh, yeah, it was uh, apparently he was really yeah sad to find out that he could have stayed on. They they yep. made it sound like it was all or nothing.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it, you definitely see like in, in almost every episode just how committed he is to the character. Oh yeah, a
0: fresh start, it's a clean slate, like the witness protection program. Exactly. Not at all.
1: I've always wanted to be in the witness protection program.
0: Fresh start. No debts, no baggage. I've already got my name picked out. Lord Rupert Everton. I'm a, uh, a shipping merchant who raises fancy dogs. That's the life. I declare bankruptcy!
1: Well, Will, I'm I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on um like the co- kind of comedic styles of the show because I I feel like I definitely know moments like Kevin spilling chili everywhere chili, that are yeah. kind of good physical comedy and obviously my, Michael Scott really commits physically uh in in moments here and there especially in moments where he's like pretending to be a character that Michael Scott is playing. Uh, but I, I feel like most of the, the humor of the show, personally, that, I, that I've seen is more, you know, low-key, kind of a little bit of that cringe, like you as the audience are kind of laughing at the weird reactions and the weird stuff that Dwight says, and you're kind of there along with the straight man of, of kind of Jim as he's kind of picking on Dwight and such. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, I'm curious if you could kind of succinctly describe the the comedic styles of this show um i'm always interested in
0: like the the dynamic of the show and how uh particularly in some of the earlier seasons it'll be michael versus the office in a way that all of the characters are the both the protagonists of the episode but he's also the protagonist but they're in conflict so there's it's like, um, the main character is causing the problems mm. that the show is trying to resolve, but he's the one who could easily resolve them, but he's like stretching the like the episode is becoming a an episode because of the fact that he won't resolve them.
1: yeah, it's uh, they're almost like little mini comic tragedies here and there because it's just his hubris and his like ridiculousness like uh, getting in the way. like this is of, a later uh, you know everything yeah, this is a
0: later season episode. But I feel like it works as that kind of an example. There's an episode called, um, I'm going to have to look it up, but uh, there's an episode called Murder. Everyone is worried about their co- the company, Dunder Mifflin, is going to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And so, meanwhile, Michael Scott keeps convincing everyone to try and play this murder mystery game. And the whole time, the audience and the rest of the people in the office are really just obsessed with what's going to happen with the company. And he keeps pushing Mm. this game on them. And so finally, like they cave and they play it. And, and at the end, you know, like it turned out that he was actually intentionally distracting everybody. And so it's kind of, it's kind of the, the, the office in a nutshell, like he's doing this, this thing that seems ridiculous and everybody's rolling their eyes. By the end, you're still kind of rolling your eyes. It was ridiculous, but it had a reason
1: yeah yeah I, I think that's definitely what it becomes. i I worry like I wonder if uh, I wonder if some of those earlier ones it was just a hundred percent him being a child and throwing a fit in some of those scenarios. So I don't know if there's always intention
0: no, there there isn't. there was there was one episode there there's episodes like there's one where they have to get some papers initialed at the end of every month. and mm-hmm. at the end of every week, there's other papers that need to get initialed. And at the end of every quarter, there's other papers that need to get initialed. And one day out of the year it all, he has to do all of them. <laughs> and he refuses the entire episode to do any of them.
1: He never does any work.
0: And, uh, and that, but like, uh, th- that's really an offshoot of, uh, the, the season two episode where you kind of learn that there is some method to Michael Scott mm. where he makes the, uh, where he has to go make a sale at Chili's to yeah, uh, Tim Meadows a character. One. And the whole time he's just telling jokes and goofing off. And then it turns out that he's doing that to build a rapport with the salesman or the, the Tim Meadows character so that he can mm-hmm. actually make the sale easily at the end and get him on his side rather than just making a a blanket sale that, you know, they could fall back on at any moment.
1: You know? Yeah, like, you know, I feel like the, the complexity, uh, like you said before, of what they do with these characters eventually is what makes... This is such an interesting a show that works. And speaking up, obsessing about shows, I think we should do quick recommendations to other shows Absolutely. and then close this episode out. Uh, I think myself, I feel like this... I have to say that just because they're often butted up so head-to-head, I feel like it's always the one that people are, are on one side or the other about or pretend to be on one side or the other about. But maybe somehow you're out there and you're listening to this... And you've never watched Parks and Rec, but uh, yeah, I'll say that's similar mockumentary style, similar level of um, just really fun, interesting characters, and great, hilarious, snappy dialogue, Uh, and also has a kind of rough first season. Mm -hmm. So if you're patient enough to get through the start of The Office, give that another try with Parks and Rec.
0: Yeah, I mean, and Michael, uh, you know, like Greg Daniels helped co-create it, Michael Schur went on to show run the series like so it's it's by the, a lot of the same people mm. and yeah of course uh, it's a it's a parks and rec would be you know like a top tier recommendation if you want to go down the michael Shore rabbit hole after that i guess you could watch you could follow that up with uh, brooklyn 99 yeah and then the good place all
1: also of which get more shows. and more
0: different but in the uh, good
1: place yeah surprisingly super creative like for a sitcom kind of structure and style like it, it just it, it does a 360 spin every season but still somehow sticks within all the sitcom beats it's super super impressive
0: yeah and then um although there've only been two seasons and i haven't finished the first season if you want to go down the greg daniel's rabbit hole you could go watch space force because i've heard that season Pretty two funny. is um is phenomenal and it like i
1: really liked season one so now i gotta check out season two i
0: i've seen like the first three episodes of season one and it's not bad i'm gonna get back to it one of these days <laughs>
1: there's there's some great writing in that show yeah. and some really ludicrous moments okay but, uh, but i'm excited hearing that season two is even better
0: yeah um on the uh Zany characters with a uh, heart by the end of it. I guess we could always give a shout out to, uh, you know, community. Yeah. Um. Just mockumentary style. I mean, if you've watched The American Office, you know, you might as well check out the British one. Yeah, sure. See where it all came from. <laughs> um,
1: I feel like those, those two appeal to different kinds of people, though. A true. Little bit. But yeah, you definitely will see a lot of the... The DNA there, and it—it it, I think it's a comedy classic either way. Yeah,
0: and it is fun to see the the different uh, other characters from one show where you know kind of started off copy and paste, and then kind of evolved into their own thing. Like the British Office version of Dwight is similar but very different, mm-hmm. and the uh, British Office version of Kevin is really one note.
1: Yeah, I think that's it for this episode on kind of the background of The Office and our thoughts overall on the show. This was kind of our, our, a spoiler-free-ish kind of look at, in, into the show, but next episode we will be doing our full classic sitcom breakdown, spoiler episode of The Business School, which is season three, episode, was that 18? 17. Which is season three, episode 17 of The Office. So I think I watched this all through Peacock, where it is free to watch. So, yeah. Yeah. Join in. Join in. Watch the business school. Check it out. And come join us next episode, where we'll completely break it down and talk about all the funniest moments.
0: Gag-a-doodle-doo.
1: Yeah. Enjoy yourselves.
0: Yeah. Keep it real.
1: It's over now.